Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome back to the survival show manly musing segment. Of course, I'm producer Ben and before we get to Craig and his talk today i would like to remind you to go and check out the new tiny survival guide and card simply go over to tinysurvivalgear.com all right let's get into today's manly musing segment hey everybody this is craig cuddle director of nature reliance school and co-host of the survival show podcast i believe i have what i would consider a very special treat for you today I already had a really nice Manly Musings recorded for today, but the media has been dominated by the story of these two young girls in California that were rescued after spending a couple days outside. And I thought it would be worth our while to go through this story, almost like a break it down segment, uh, because it's such a timely opportunity to talk instead of my other topic I had for Manly Musings, which is a good one. So you'll get that next week. But we'll dig into this today. The way I thought we'd start us off is I've read numerous, numerous accounts of this story. And I thought I would read one of them for those that are not familiar. And this one that I've settled on here actually does a good summation of what happened. So the story is about these two young girls. And uh, this one comes from ABC News. And the two girls' names are the Carico girls, Leah and Caroline. So their rescue was, I'm going to just read the story and then I'm going to break it down for you. Their rescue was described as a miracle, but two girls who were lost in Northern California forest over the weekend said Monday they depended on each other to survive and had faith that their daddy was coming to save them. Leah Carrico, eight, and her five-year-old sister, Caroline, spoke publicly for the first time, described how they got lost while walking on a deer trail and wandered past a fallen tree on their family's 80-acre property that their father, Travis, and I believe their name is Carrico, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, warned them never to go beyond. Leah wanted a little tiny more adventure, but I wanted more, Caroline said, of how their misadventure Friday afternoon started. The girls were found on Sunday afternoon by two volunteer firefighters about 1.4 miles from their home in rural Humboldt County town of Benbow. Travis Carrico estimated the girls had probably walked six miles before they were found. Leah said that at one point she and her sister realized they had walked in a giant circle because they noticed the same metal poles they had already passed. I wasn't sure which way was home, but it turned out that home was way back south, Leah said. Leah said she and her sister used Caroline's rain jacket as a shelter, cuddling together under a huckleberry bush to keep out of the pouring rain and to keep warm as nighttime temperatures dropped to 38 degrees. My sister cried the whole night, Leah said, of the first night they spent lost in the forest, and I told her to keep happy thoughts of our family. Caroline said her big sister kept watch at night for wild animals. I thought of going to the park and with mommy and daddy. I thought of going to the ocean. I thought of everything, but it didn't work. Caroline slept a little, but I kept watching both nights, Leah said. 
The ordeal began about 2.30 on Friday when the girls asked their mother, Misty Carrico, if they could go on a hike to a sunny spot. Misty Carrico said that she was busy at the time preparing a load of stuff to take to the dump. She said she noticed her girls missing about 3 p.m. and started screaming out their names, but they were nowhere to be seen. I felt awful, terrified, and guilty, said the mother. Travis Carrico said that when his wife first called him, he didn't panic, thinking the girls would be home soon. But when he got home and they still hadn't shown up, he said he got on his motorcycle and started driving all over his property looking for them. The parents called the Humboldt County Sheriff's Department, which immediately launched a search that grew into a massive search and rescue operation that drew more than 200 law enforcement and military personnel from throughout California, including two helicopter crews. I went through every emotion you could think of, everything from thinking it was a dream to bawling up and crying, Travis Carrico said of the ordeal. His wife said her mind went to a really dark place. I wasn't hopeful after the first night and it began and it being 38 degrees and it pouring, pouring rain, Misty Carrico said. I constantly heard my kids screaming for help in my head. The girls survived two nights and most of Sunday morning with no food huddled in a bush they called the Huckleberry Home. Leah said they also used survival skills they learned on a family camping trips, their participation in 4-H, and from watching movies about people being lost. I know how to start a fire, Leah said, explaining that she was attempting to start a brush fire but gave up when it suddenly got sunny. Travis Carrico said that while searching for his daughters, he came upon the brush pile Leah had built. The key lesson the girls said they followed was to stay in one place once they realized they were lost. The girls were found about 10.30 a.m. Sunday by Piercy, California Volunteer Fire Chief Delbert Crumley and Firefighter Abram Hill. We heard crackling and we thought we heard somebody, says, say, Dad, Crumley said, and we called their names again and they said, we're right here. I think it, I was more excited than they were. About an hour after they were found safe and uninjured, Leah and Caroline were driven on all-terrain vehicles to meet their anxious parents. A video of the reunion was posted online by the North Carolina Journal newspaper showed Travis Carrico scooping up his youngest daughter, Caroline, and hugging her tight, tearfully telling her, I love you. I was so worried about you, Travis, to Travis Carrico told Caroline. He did let her know she is in, no in so much trouble. When Leah arrived at the rendezvous site on another ATV, her qu mother quickly picked her up and hugged her as if she was never going to let go. And I'll skip a little bit of this. So the sheriff remarked that one of the best survival lessons the girls utilized was to stay put in their Huckleberry home once they realized they were lost. Hypothermia could have set in, but they kept dry, Hansel told ABC News. That was the key thing for these girls. The girls said they heard a National Guard Black Hawk helicopter overhead searching for them, and they yelled for help, but no one heard them. When the girls heard Crumley and Hill yelling out their names, they answered back and were rescued. When our searchers found them, they were in good spirits. Rescues were surprised. They were happy to see them, said Hansel, who on Sunday described finding the girls safe and sound as a miracle. All right, so let's break this down, you all. There's a lot of things in play here, and but as I get into it, there's a few things I'm, I want to make sure that I state at the at the offset of this. Okay, the first is that I am definitely armchair quarterbacking this situation, meaning I don't have full information. All I have seen is what isn't available to us in the news, and I know from personal experience that anytime there's an interview done for the news. 
because I, because I have been interviewed numerous times for the news, full information and and very often poor information is put out in the news report. So I'm saying I'm basing what I'm going to suggest and discuss today on that information. There's a lot of good things that happened. There's a lot of things that were not so good, and I think we need to learn from them all. But I don't want to pretend that that uh, I have all the answers because there's so many things we don't know from this story because, number one, I wasn't there. Number two, the news oftentimes gets it wrong. I've read about 20 different accounts of this. Most of them appear to be you know, Associated Press, so the information has just been shared on the same reporting. But there's been several articles written locally about it, and they all have different pieces of information, and even some of that information contradicts uh, other pieces of information. So keep that in mind. Okay, so it seems like that um, some of the things that the girls said, they were somewhat coached on after they got interviewed. And so, for example, uh, they said that they saw a National Guard Black Hawk helicopter. I find it intriguing that two young girls of this age would be able to recognize a uh, helicopter and recognize that it was number one National Guard, number two Black Hawk. They may have heard their dad speaking of that, and maybe that's the only kind of people they thought could fly a helicopter. So that's possible, but uh, I thought that was a little bit odd. Now, let's... Let's let's start breaking this down. I'm going to break this down in several different aspects. I'm going to talk about um, the the things that happened before the event, the things that we that led to the event. Basically, you know, the the work up to it. We're, I want to talk about the search and rescue operation uh, a little bit. I want to talk about the opportunities for training as well, and then I'm going to go into some follow up opportunities. So, number one, let's consider how this whole mess got started. Number one, the girls have been told not to ever go past a certain tree on the property by their father. Their father wasn't there, but he had told them there's a tree that's down and he never wanted them to go past it. So number one, they went past it. One of the things that was not covered in this particular news source is that the girls had wanted to go hiking and they had asked their mother and their mother said no, and then they went anyway. So this is important. Okay. I am a huge fan of proactive measures that take care of us in survival. One of the biggest, and I had this discussion, I was teaching a corporate client today on active aggressor, active shooter situation. And the question came up, how do we, how do we take care of our kids in a situation we're in public? And my answer is don't expect kids to be adults because they're not adults. They don't make adult decisions and they don't know how to make adult decisions. You need to be the adult. Don't let kids play the role of adult in your family. When you tell your kids to do something, they need to do it. They need to listen to you. They need to follow your instruction. And if you're having trouble with kids that don't want to do that, then you need to fix yourself. You need to find a way that you can, and I'm not saying you have to be abusive. I'm not saying that at all. What you need to do is work on and study. The internet is a wonderful thing at looking at how to deal with problem children and make workarounds for it so that you can direct what it is that your children are doing. And more importantly, they listen to you, particularly uh, under stressful situations. Okay. So they went against their dad's wishes. They went against their mother's issues, uh, wishes and rules. Had they not done that, we would not be having this discussion at all. Now, here's the part that I do like about what the girls, the girls wanted adventure. So one way that you can help that is take time to let your kids go on an adventure and let them explore. 
don't always, every time you go to the outdoors, have a set agenda. Sometimes just going to the outdoors and sitting down and letting kids do whatever they want to do, like play in mud puddles, build leaf piles, um, climb little trees and stuff of that nature. Just let them explore. And one of the things is uh, as far as exploring is sometimes I would let my kids explore and I was watching them from a distance. So they thought they were doing, I had given them permission to go on their own and I let them go on their own, but I watched from a distance so that they wouldn't do anything that was going to get them into trouble. And if they were starting to get into a spot where they were getting in trouble, then guess what? Dad would just kind of show up on the scene by accident and I would help them and guide them and direct them. And I would do that off to the side, letting them be kids and explore, because in my mind, exploring in nature is a valuable thing. And that's, I believe, from what we can tell, that's one of the most valuable things that these kids had available to them. Now, some might think that they fault the mother for this. I don't fault the mother at all for letting the girls play outside and 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 um, doing their thing. But she probably should have kept a better eye on them, right? But she... Evidently, from everything that I can read, the kids got to explore quite a bit, which I'm actually very thankful that they live in a place where it's safe and the kids can go and explore. But maybe she should have uh, done it a little bit better. And I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing her. I'm just saying this for the rest of us. I'm sure she's questioning what she did. And if it was me, I would want to question myself and what I did. Just keep a better eye on the kids, even when you do let them explore. Don't assume that they know how to make adult decisions out there on their own. Now, getting into the search and rescue operation, there's a few things here that need to be pointed out that are good for all of us to know. Number one, uh, when the mother went out and started searching for the girls, she was yelling their name. That was very good. When the searchers were out searching for the kids, they were yelling the girls' names. That is very good. If you're just walking through the woods, think about it. If you, if you put yourself in the shoes of these two young girls, again, eight and five, and you see a bunch of strangers walking through the woods and you think you're going to get in trouble, there's just a real good chance that you're not going to answer them. Okay. This is something that we've learned from lost person behavior. If you've never read that book or been in that class and check it out, but kids, when they think they're going to be in trouble, they'll hide. And because we've taught them for years, don't talk to strangers. When they see strangers, then they tend to shy away from them. Sometimes even in a situation like this, they will hide from the, from the uh, search and rescue volunteers. So it was a huge operation, massive search and rescue operation. There were over 200 people that got involved with this on several different, several different agencies. Some problems that that causes is that there's a lot of contamination of the search site, meaning um, if, if there just happened to be people that were sent out as clue aware uh, searchers or trackers or something of that nature, because there were so many, it would be really difficult to um, to maintain the site so that it wasn't contaminated, which it ended up sounding like it did because, and this is the next point, they searchers, and I don't think I brought it out in this one. It was one of the other stories that I read of the same situation. They found granola bar wrappers and boot prints. So here's the, the skinny on what a tracker is going to look for and how you can apply this and, and help you if you're ever in this situation. It's rare, unless somebody's walking on a beach, a ball field, or they're walking in the desert, are there going to be numerous tracks in a situation, okay, or in a, in a strata. You're, it's just rare that you're going to be finding lots of tracks. 
So in a forested, wooded environment like what these girls were in, the issue that these trackers or the clue-aware searchers were, were trying to be aware of is finding anything that was a clue or what we refer to in the tracking community as sign. Something that shows us and lets us know that the people that we're looking for are here. And attached to that is also, and this is one other article I read alluded to this, said that the searcher mentioned it gave them a direction of travel. This idea of direction of travel is invaluable when you're trying to minimize a search area. If you know that somebody you're searching for has walked over into that hollow, for example, and you know they're going that direction, you can um, put resources, human resources, uh, canines, whatever, in that particular area instead of maybe the hilltop, for example. And in so doing, you can concentrate the resources on the areas where you know they're more likely to be, and that direction of travel will give you that opportunity to know, hey, they're headed that direction, and so we can push resources in there. So they, the girls mentioned when the Black Hawk was overhead that no one heard them. Let me uh, enlighten you a little bit in these searches like this. In, in a search like this, particularly in a, a thick, heavy, uh, uh, forested area, helicopters uh, are really good on movies, but it's the ground searchers that are going to be the ones that typically find somebody. Even helicopters that have uh, exceptional technology and um, stuff of that nature, they still find it difficult to be able to find people in this in type of environment. Obviously, they didn't find these two girls. The girls were screaming, and nobody could hear them, even if they were – we don't know when the Blackhawks came over, if the searchers were close or if they weren't searched. We don't know for sure, but we know that they were screaming, and nobody could hear them. Um, one of the things that – um, moving on, I'm sorry, moving on, going into training opportunities. Here's some things that you can teach your kids or people that you mentor, your scouts, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, your church group, um, your grandkids, your kids, whoever it might be. There's a program out there that was started by Mr. Ab Taylor. Ab Taylor is a fantastic search and rescue person. Uh, he is uh, a fantastic tracker. And he came up with a program that is called Hug a Tree. And it's just a very simplistic way that you can teach children, and I teach this to adults as well, is how they handle themselves in a lost person situation. When they're lost and they know they're lost, what do they do? Well, they hug a tree. You know, in our adult classes, we always go through the STOPA, and you've seen our podcast up to this point on STOPA, Stop, Think, Observe, Plan, and Actively Stay Alive, Recognize Your Law of Threes and all that stuff. But that's a lot of information for kids to digest and be able to recreate under stress. So simplistically, just tell kids, hug a tree. When you get lost, stay at a tree. Don't move. Stay there. We'll come find you. And that's pretty much what these kids did. They end up staying with their huckleberry home for a while they end up leaving it after a short while or after a while i think it was a day but they did really good and that somebody has taught them that because that is not necessarily the most natural thing for them to do which is to stay with that tree and they did that uh, whether the kids had walked six miles or not that's a 
That is an unknown. That was a guess by their father. But here's what the searchers know is that in this book, Lost Person Behavior, and there's an app for it as well, you can plug in the demographic data of the person or persons you're looking for, and this has a vast amount of database full of research on, hey, this is how far, let's say, for example, a child that's eight-year-old should be able to walk in two days. And so that gives searchers ability to, again, focus attention on a certain part of a search area rather than an incredible large search area. Another thing that this story did not bring out that was in other stories is that the girls, yeah, it was in this story. I'm sorry. They talked about walking around in circles. And so there's a lot of reasoning why we as a human species walk in circles. Um, there's a lot of, you can just do a Google search. Why do humans walk in circles? But from a tracker's perspective, because I do a lot of tracking, I study this subject. Let's break it down to something real simple, which is basically we have what's called natural drift. That's one thing that, that often uh, helps with this. I talk about this in my third book, the one I wrote with Tracy Trimble. There's a very natural drift for us to go downhill no matter where we're walking. And so that will force us a certain direction. The other one is that when we run into uh, – things that are blocking our path, whether it's a tree, a bush, a multi-floor rose, a big rock, or some of that nature, we have a tendency to push off on the same foot and go the same direction. So let's say I'm pushing off with my right foot every time I run into something that's an obstruction, that if I keep pushing off with my right foot when I run into obstruction, then I'll eventually make a circle. And so that's part of the reasons why. So if, if you're in the business of let's say going grass hunting or something and you're going out and you're not on a trail and you have to walk then be real cognizant of this idea of lateral drift and that'll help you tremendously um, one thing that we've taught in our programs particularly the ones and i've done this a lot for school children when i teach them about search and rescue or about uh, how to the, how to handle themselves during survival is uh, the girls talked about wild animals, and so there's a lot of fear about what happens after dark, particularly for children, okay? So one way that I overcome that is you can get online rather easily and find nighttime sounds. Like I have a program that I teach in libraries and schools where I share all the different nighttime sounds, and then I show the the kids, or and I've done this with adults too, I show them the animal that makes that sound. For example, a... Um, you know, a big one is owls. You know, you have a hoot owl, screech owl, uh, barred owl, barn owl. That's in my neck of the woods here. But a barred owl, B-A-R-R-E-D, barred owl, makes an incredibly, incredibly intimidating sound in the dark that I don't care for. And so, but once you recognize what it is, then it's not as fearful. It's the fear of the unknown that causes so many problems. So if you're mentoring children or something of that nature, then please, by all means, find a, uh, do a Google search on uh, nocturnal animals in my area or some variation of it and find uh, some downloadable sounds that you can say to the kids, this is what a whippoorwill sounds like. This is what a, this is what a screech owl sounds like. And this is what they look like. And so uh, those types of things are real valuable to helping people lose their fear of being outside. The next aspect that I thought was fantastic that these little girls, and this is, I find it hard to believe that the girls came up with this on their own. They were probably taught this in that 4-H survival class. Uh, I know I teach this and when I teach uh, kids, but they kept that rain jacket and used it as a shelter. And in one of the interviews, I saw the video interview, uh, the 
two girls talked about how one of them put one arm in the jacket and the other one put another arm in the jacket, and then they stayed together. They stayed huddled together, and that helped them conserve and maintain core body temp. So that seems like a little thing, but it was a big thing. And there, there's some conflicting information about this huckleberry bush that they stayed with, uh, whether it was a bush or they were under a down tree. The, I saw one interview where – uh, one of the girls mentioned that they stayed under a down tree, like a large tree, which have, would have kept off a lot of water. And uh, that would have helped them tremendously stay out of the rain. And whether they stayed with the bush or whatever, I mean, something was there to help uh, keep the rain off of them, which is fantastic. The two killers in temperatures of 38 degrees, which definitely these two girls could have fallen victim to hypothermia, are the wind and the rain, being wet and having the wind blow on you. So uh, they did a good job. A rain jacket takes care of both of those for the most part. Um, one of the things that they mentioned, the two girls, is that they took water from the huckleberry bush. So whether they licked it off there, wiped it off there, and squeezed it in their mouth, I don't really know. Was, there was no indication on how they got it. But they, they, drinked, they drank water from what was on the huckleberry bush bush their huckleberry home and so that was very very important to them maintaining their hydration um leah told her sister to think happy thoughts of the family which was fantastic advice you all know as well as i do you follow me very long uh, we talk about mindset development and how to bulletproof your mind and this little girl again somebody has taught her this to do to think happy thoughts and even if they didn't, even if she came up with it on her own, she did it under stress. So I applaud her in that she was telling her sister to think about happy thoughts, think about the family, the ocean, and all that good stuff. And that's just a good way of, you know, when I say stopa, stop, think, observe, plan, and actively keep alive in your mind. She was doing that by doing that very thing. This is a great example for all of us, adults or kids, either one. Um. One of the things that's important is that they, they had some granola bars and they left the packaging out in the woods and they ate those, those, and they, from a survival perspective, they would not have needed those granola bars to stay alive. I'm glad they did because they left the garbage behind, which was a clue, which was a sign that led the rescuers to them. But at the same time, um, Every article that I've read that's been written by other people, they focus a lot of attention on the fact that they had these snacks and these food pieces. And I just want to make it clear, as I've tried to make it clear over and over and over again through the years, is that food is one of your last priorities as far as a need. It might be a want, but it's one of the last things that you need. I mean, it's worthwhile for people to deal with not being able to eat every once in a while. In this country, most of us, most of us, not all of us, I, I teach a lot of school kids, and a lot of those kids don't get to eat every day uh, unless they're in school. Um, but one of the things that it would be good for all of us is to miss a meal now every now and then, maybe even by surprise, and and learn how to deal with that from a mental perspective. So there's three ways that the girls mentioned that they had studied survival skills. One was that they had studied survival at a 4-H camp. Fantastic. I do that. People do that all over the country. So find a way to get into a class where you get good training from somebody that really knows what they're doing. They've been on a lot of camp, uh, family camping trips. Unbelievably good opportunities for kids to get out to where the forest is not a danger. It's not something to be feared. It's something to enjoy. So camping trips are really good 
in that regard. And then they talked about watching movies about people being lost. And I, and I bring this up because I don't think that's a good way to learn, but I, I just bring it up to point out that if you've got kids that are watching movies, for example, dramatizations and, uh, like, let's say, for example, the, the show Lost that was on so long. I've had people tell me in, in the last couple of weeks that uh, that Lost was a great source of survival training. And it's not. I mean, it, it's a dramatization. It's not a good survival show at all. And so um, just be aware your kids are watching this media and they are putting in their mind that it's a good way to survive. One of the young girls said that she was going to build a fire, and I really don't know what she was carrying with her that could have made a fire. But uh, I read and saw an interview with another instructor that was just terrible. I'm sorry, but he was just terrible. But one of the things, he's a primitive skills instructor, right? He was saying that, that and, and I'm not saying he's terrible because he's a prim skills guy, but what he was saying was tell people to look for um, – or, or teach the kids how to do bow drill fire making. I'm just telling you, these little girls, they wouldn't have been able to whip out a bow drill out in the middle of the woods during this event. It just wouldn't have happened. I'm not saying if they didn't have a ferro rod or maybe even a lighter and fire starting material. I get that. But these two little girls having the ability to whip out a bow drill fire or a hand drill fire, you know, Native American culture kids, yeah. But these two kids, there's no way. And so don't don't be so disingenuous with children. Uh, know what their limits are, know what their capabilities are, and teach them in such a way that they can meet and exceed the expectations of themselves like that. So here's some follow-up things. Uh, I contacted one of our good friends, one of the administrators on our Facebook group, who has some excellent skills and training in mental health conditioning, or, or mental health help. And there's a few things that I want to make sure that are worthwhile worthwhile to discuss as follow-up opportunities and that is positive reinforcement works you all so when when this situation happens and happened and the girls were found the the dad immediately uh, started saying that what they had done was wrong so the I can't say what is best in that situation because I'm not those girls' daughter. I'm not armchair quarterbacking that at all. I'm just saying you definitely need to consider that that situation from the eyes of those children. Think about how, think about what they dealt with over two and a half days, right? I mean, they were in, under serious trauma. And to give them positive reinforcement that they got home, give them positive reinforcement that when the people that were searching for them, um, they answered them. Those are the kind of things that we can reinforce actions that you want repeated. So as you're taking your kids out to camp and you call them to come eat and they immediately come, then reward them for it. Or when you tell kids, Hey, I want you, and they ask, can we go over here and play? Yeah, but don't go past that tree. When they don't go past the tree, then reward them. Even if it's just verbally, Hey, you did a good job. I appreciate the fact that, that I told you not to go past the tree and you didn't because reinforcing these positive actions are the way to ingrain that into a child's mind. And it's, it's very important. So again, it may be in this situation that these two kids are going to be in need of a mental health care provider. I mean, seriously, and possibly even the mother, she was mentioning some things that she may, she may very well have some serious trouble with. So don't discredit that. Mental health is a, is a serious problem, 
and it's not something to be played around with and toyed around with and and pretend that it's not there. It's something that you have to deal with, so deal with it. And find a counselor if that's what you need to do. Find somebody that can help you, the kids in that situation, and that way we can all be safer. So again, um, just do a just do a quick Google search if you are not familiar with this story. It's the Carico Sisters, C-A-R-R-I-C-O, Carico Sisters. And this all happened in California. Fantastic story. Uh, I love it. Absolutely love it when these stories come to a very good ending like this one did. Uh, it just it absolutely tickles me to death. It, it makes me incredibly happy that these girls and their family have been spending time outside and had studied some survival. Um, obviously, that's what I do. So I love it when I hear people that have gained success from that sort of training. And uh, kudos to whoever taught these young ladies, but obviously the dads taught them and some survival instructor somewhere taught them as well. So kudos to them. Uh, and again, uh, just I don't want to give any impression. I think that uh, there, were, there were a lot of mistakes made because there were not a lot of mistakes made. These girls did a fantastic job. The parents did a fantastic job and everything they did. The search and rescue team, the, that movement, they did unbelievably well to make this come to a happy ending. So with that said, thanks. This has been Craig Cottle with the survival show podcast. Hey, so, uh, again, you'll be hearing another podcast that is actually supposed to be coming up. Uh, that's going to be coming up next week. It's a, on, uh, I read another passage from a book and I go into detail about that situation. Hey, check out, uh, the tiny survival guide and card and all that good stuff. Uh, go to tinysurvivalgear.com. That thing, I'm just telling you, the thing is crushing it. It's absolutely crushing it. So uh, it's it's real good to check that out and see what's going on with the tinysurvivalgear.com and all that good stuff. So good to be with you again for Manly Musings. And we appreciate you as always, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, that wraps up today's Manly Musings segment. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a lot. Let us know what you think. And don't forget, you can engage with us anytime over on Patreon. Let us know how we're doing. You can give us some suggestions for our future podcasts. And you can submit questions to be answered on our full-length show. And remember, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.